This is Kevin Conroy, and you're listening to The Drift Space. This has been a smooth start. <laughs> I just opened the picture. <laughs> All right, we're just gonna keep going. We're just gonna keep going. Uh, All right, well, welcome back to the drift space. <laughs> I'm your host today, Dave. finally dipping our toes into the horror genre unless of course you counted the prequels or dragon ball evolution <laughs> potentially potentially the transformers of the movie <laughs> but if those didn't break you in fear not gentle listener we're starting this journey in the most accessible horror comedy genre now i love horror movies and i love the horror movie genre but horror comedy flicks have historically fell pretty flat for me. Thanks, Killing and Velocipaster notwithstanding. <laughs> it seems it seems incredibly challenging to find a good balance blending these two genres together because on paper, for all intents and purposes, they're not the same. They're, they're the opposite, unless you're into psychology or therapy, but that's a discussion for another time. <laughs> but... This is how I felt about this genre for a long time until GJ introduced me to the Blumhouse flick Happy Death Day, which was one of the most delightful movies I had seen in quite a long time. Also hit on a budget of about $5 million, which is quite remarkable. But Happy Death Day eventually got a sequel, Happy Death Day to you. <laughs> and Blumhouse continued this journey with director Christopher Landon to immediately follow up Happy Death Day to you with Freaky. Now, in my head canon, all of these films take place in the same universe. Landon even teased that maybe the two female leads would bump into each other in a future movie. That's enough confirmation for me, and I want that more than anything. At any rate, if Happy Death Day riffs off Groundhog Day, Freaky riffs off Freaky Friday. It's a body swap flick featuring Vince Vaughn, who to me, is an absolute powerhouse in here. He initially plays the serial killer of the film known as the Blissfield Butcher, who steals a mystical ancient dagger called Ladola. Continuing his killing spree, he attacks the lead actress in the film, Millie, played by Catherine Newton. She is cut by the dagger in a freaky sequence, pun intended. The two have now magically switched bodies. Hilarity ensues as Millie, now played by Vince Vaughn, tries to get her body back while looking like the Blissfield Butcher all while navigating her feelings for high school crush Booker, 
learning a little something about herself along the way and becoming empowered and confident in her new six foot five frame. <laughs> now, y'all, much like Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to you, this was an absolute joy ride for me. Like I said, I really enjoyed Vince Vaughn here. And the idea that a petite teenage girl has all that real estate to work with was <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> and, and Vince Vaughn really went after it. And Catherine should also not be overlooked here. I thought that oh. she was definitely able to channel in the creepy here and really put on a, a pretty remarkable performance in her own right. Now, overall, do I think that, th that Freaky was as good as Happy Death Day was? No. But I think it was definitely serviceable. <laughs> And in the horror comedy genre and a more than worthy installment in this universe of films that we're getting from Blumhouse. So with all that said, what did you guys think? And I actually want to start with JR. I feel like we haven't started with JR in a while. So I'm, I want to hear what you think, JR. What did you think of this? Well, you know, it's, it's hard for me to say I'm a horror junkie. I do like horror movies, but I'm also a giant pansy. So, it you know, I've, I've been pitching this idea around uh, with G for quite a while. I'm like, you know, I want to make a horror comedy. And I just want to play up stereotypes and, you know, have like them be like watching the scary movie as they're in a scary movie. And then be like, no, don't go down and investigate that noise, you idiot. You're going to die. And then they immediately hear a noise and they're like, I should go investigate that. <laughs> but uh i you know as soon as i saw the advertisements for this and i saw vince vaughn was in it i was like i have to see this movie i absolutely need to see this movie in my life and i knew exactly what i was getting into and it delivered perfectly the the humor was there the stereotypical like drama for horror movies was there it all worked. And to me, I, I want to be with you guys and I want to see Happy Death Day and Happy Death Day to you. But to me, this kind of hasn't, I haven't hit the genre feels since I saw maybe Hot Fuzz, which really isn't even a slasher flick, but it's more of a comedy. So I absolutely ate this movie up. And I watched this movie with one of my best friends and I can't tell you how many times we had to stop and pause the movie just because we were laughing so hard. <laughs> like, she was laughing even harder than me, and she almost choked a few times. It was... It was great. <laughs> you know, I think I think the comparison to Hot Fuzz is actually pretty apt, because Hot Fuzz is just, you know, comedy uh, meets the action genre. Yeah. Um, you know, a, a satire of that. So I think I think that's a pretty solid comparison. Rebecca, what did you think of the film? Because like JR, this isn't really the norm for you either. What, how did you uh, respond to it? Well, I've got to say, this has to be the best reboot of Freaky Friday I've ever seen. <laughs> it's, it's funny, it's quirky, it's dark, it's emotional, and a weird combination of words to describe a film uh, can you imagine a conversation between two best friends? Oh, the film was funny and quirky. Oh, how cute. It was also dark and emotional, very bloody. 
like what? Which is, <laughs> which is, <laughs> which is another thing I loved. Uh, crossing over two very unlikely genres together, a cutesy little chick flick with a slasher horror film. Clearly, that was genius. Honestly, um, it reminded me some of the artwork I drew uh, in the past. Uh, I, I would draw very outlandish crossovers like Arthur, the aardvark from PBS with Attack on Titan, or Dora the Explorer with Lara Croft, or Eeyore as a Super Saiyan. Yeah, you heard me correctly. Dragon Ball Jesus. Yes! There you go. <laughs> I forgot about Dragon Ball Jesus. <laughs> I will never forget about Dragon Ball Jesus as long as I live. And now I want an anime of the Bible. Dragon Ball Jesus, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Where Jesus has to collect all the Dragon Balls. <laughs> this will come in handy when I have to bring myself back to life. <laughs> <laughs> Shenron! My name is God. <laughs> Son. <laughs> How many people has he forgiven? It's over 9,000! <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. Our, the drift space first uh, pitch for a comedy and crossover. <laughs> Maybe we could turn it into a horror comedy. <laughs> Better than Dragon Ball Evolution. Hell yeah! Anyway, crossovers like the, like this with the movies might sound like horrible ideas to most people, but the truth is, people want to see something like that. I'm not just talking about, like, Superman, Batman crossovers or MCU crossovers. No, I'm talking about two ideas, two genres that are completely polar opposites that somehow come together to create a very unique movie. It's odd, it's out there, and it seems almost impossible to do, which is what really hooks people. I'm going to sound pretty naive when I say this, but I enjoy this film a lot. I thought it was quite creative. It was funny, like I said, and entertaining. I love the young actress who played Millie, uh, Catherine Noon, right? Yeah, yeah. And and how she was, she goes from an awkward, timid, shy girl that bites her nails to the per personality of a staunch serial killer with eyes that can burn a hole through a wall. And Vince Vaughn, <laughs> I hardly hear or see of him in anything anymore, so it was nice seeing him again. <laughs> I'm so glad that he's getting work. So glad he's not financially hurting. Where you been, buddy? <laughs> this one, where you been? I, I loved, I clearly loved how a tall, deep talking man was able to channel his inner teenage girly side with almost no effort whatsoever. <laughs> Art. I mean, he, he, he goes from uh, just not saying anything to a deathly glare to clapping his hands going, listen, listen, I, I need you to look at me. I need you to look at me, okay? I need you to <laughs> and that part where he's in the bathroom just, what, do I wipe or something? Do I... <laughs> he's playing with himself. <laughs> he's doing the helicopter. <laughs> and you hear the sound effects of the flapping. <laughs> I didn't realize you heard the sound effects. <laughs> That's terrible. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> What's that? Um, also, I must say that there's probably no greater honor 
for a teenage boy to have the thrill of a lifetime than to be filmed while making out with Vince Vaughn in the back of a car. So... <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll get to that. Kudos. I have to say about that, but kudos to that young actor. <laughs> In all seriousness, as I said before, uh, Freaky is basically Freaky Friday, the story where a mother and a daughter switch bodies to better understand each other. In the end, blah blah blah. But for Freaky, I feel like it. I feel like this was a film about knowing your enemy better. After reading that synopsis, I thought, oh, maybe the killer will be in the girl's body for so long, eventually he'll become good, and after being exposed to good things, and that, that were influenced by the girl, but obviously I was deeply wrong from the, that initial thought. Now, when I watched the film, it reminded me of uh, the book, The Art of War, written by the military genius Sun Tzu back in ancient China. Basically, it talks about knowing your environment, your surroundings, your soldiers, but most importantly, knowing yourself and your enemies. And you see... A lot of that in this film. You see the butcher and Millie's body looking around his new surroundings and slowly studying them and trapping his victims. And meanwhile, you have Millie in the butcher's body learning about the strengths and weaknesses of her new body, giving her the advantage of that at the end of the film, which I, I thought was pretty clever. And again, I, I loved it. It was entertaining. It was borderline cute disturbing. So... There. Cute, disturbing. I like that. I like, that. <laughs> like a little homos- homicidal Pokemon. I know. <laughs> <laughs> kind of ironic because uh, the uh, Catherine Newton, she was one of the main characters in Detective Pikachu. Yeah. So that that worked that's out. Kind of, <laughs> that's kind of where I was pulling from. <laughs> uh, and you know, Vince Vaughn has actually dabbled in both genres, yeah. both the comedy and horror genres. He was in the Psycho remake. Yep. You know, and, and that just speaks volumes to how well the nuance is stuffed into this movie and how how intricate it is because I, I think we're all on the same page agreeing how well this crossover works and how well the characters work in it you know it's it's and it's not just the horror uh landon christopher landon has such an appreciation for 1980 teen demographic films that the nuance in these films becomes less strictly for sh- slasher junkies and sort of just embraces the cinephile. Uh, and and for, ex- for, for example, the events take place on Friday the 13th. Freaky Friday. Landon put that together as if it hasn't been low-hanging fruit for 40 years. I can't believe we've <laughs> no one landed on that one. <laughs> Landon. Aha. Aha. Um, and it's it's this crossing of the 80s teen comedy with the 80s slasher fil- flick that, that makes this film really such a joy. How often do we wish that the popular high school rival to the main character will have just been killed off? instead of face some mildly satisfying humiliation at the climax, right? I, I, I mean, these characters are so grating, and they're supposed to be, so much so that as an audience member, maybe, we, we, I mean, maybe we'd like to see that character locked in a cryotherapy tank and lowered to a temperature that these tanks don't include uh, just to watch her get smashed into pieces. That's the kind of primal satisfaction <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> from a movie that crosses these conventions 
so well. And I, I imagine the pitch meeting for this movie was what happens when Mike Myers wakes up in uh, Laurie Strode's body. I mean, <laughs> you know, because it, more than anyone, the butcher really emulates more than any slasher, I should say, uh, the butcher emulates uh, Mike Myers traits. He's unrealistically strong, very fast, despite how slow he walks and has an almost bizarre curiosity with the way he's murdered people. And Dave, I'm sure you, you caught this, but at the very beginning, when he impales the girl on the wall, he looks at her for a moment and sort of... Yeah, he kind of... head tilt. He kind of like uh, appreciates what he's done. He, he yes. admires it, yeah. And, and that is a direct reference to the very first Halloween. The, the, the guy, Mike Myers, sticks to a wall and, uh, you know, just looks at it with... A tilted head. <laughs> a, cu- a curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. Like almost look at my masterpiece. Yeah. <laughs> sort of thing. And that attention to detail, I don't think it wasn't just an homage. It was to telegraph to us. What if Mike Myers body swapped with Laurie Strode and even Millie, Millie Kessler. And I think Kessler is a reference to the main character from an American werewolf in London. It's his name. I caught that uh, too. She she has similar traits to Lori. She dresses conservatively. She's quiet. She has this sense of duty over fun. She was going to stay with her mom during the homecoming dance. And Lori, in Halloween, she babysat. Yeah. Now, the difference is, the difference is in the first Halloween, Lori never got the chance to discover more of herself in that movie. In, right. In, in the original movie. Uh, she was smart. She was resourceful. She saved the kids she, when she was babysitting, and she was a survivor. Uh, her ingenuity kept her alive. Here, through circumstance, um, Millie learns more about herself. She learns that she's a piece. <laughs> and, and watching that development, watching her realize how empowering she really is regardless of what body she has was really an excellent point that this movie was driving into because I, I can't believe the, uh, you know, it, it's a funny idea. Ha ha. We're mixing free, freaky Friday with Friday the 13th. Okay. But the movie really took time and attention to the character work here, which was also shocking. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's what really makes the films in this this universe special is they really you really spend time with these characters and you can te- like for me you can really tell how thoughtful the writers were when approaching the arcs that we see these characters go through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because initially one of the complaints about this movie for me was that it didn't go far enough with the comedy of the concept insofar that I thought this was building to a moment where Butcher in Millie's body would realize he's no match for Millie in Butcher's (laughs) body. And there would be a role reversal of Millie hunting down Butcher. (laughs) Right. I I thought that was where this was heading. And I do think there's a scenario where that could have worked. But it was proposed to me after I watched the movie that maybe... Millie seeing what Butcher was capable of in her body was in some way empowering for her. Yeah. 
you know, there, there was that line she said while in Butcher's body where she said she felt empowered. And it was just because she had Butcher's body, right? Uh, I think that, uh, that paid off in the end there when you actually saw her as badass Millie. I think that's where that could have paid, that did pay off is right. learning her empowerment. Right. And that's just it. Butcher was still doing all of those, was still murdering people while in her body anyway. And that led to a much needed epilogue. Right. Where, where Millie beats Butcher in her own body. It, and, and it occurs to me, the movie really, really needed that scene to cross the T on Millie's development. Yeah. Uh, into, into a stronger, more self-sufficient character. And while I think, I think it could have been funny to see a scared butcher running away from his own body trying to kill him. <laughs> I, I do, I really do admire the restraint in service of the character. I, I, I thought that was too good. Sometimes you watch a film and these characters go through a, a developmental process and it's setting up all these pins, right? Mm -hmm. And in the end, it might, you know, it might knock down one or two pins. Yeah. Very rarely do you get a movie where all those pins are up that it's built up throughout the movie. And in an epilogue sequence, it, to me, knocked down all those pins that it set mm -hmm. up. There was no unnecessary. I didn't really get a lot of unnecessary development from this. Mm -hmm. It really did a great job staying lean, if oh, that makes sense. Tight. Yeah, it was tight. Yeah, which is interesting because I I felt like I was kind of like done with the movie once Butcher got shot. Yeah, I, I can see what you're going. Yeah, I didn't think you know. I I, I noticed that you know in <laughs> the ambulance, the horror trope that he's still alive, right? Yeah, comes up, and I was thinking, uh, well, we're going to get this kind of like cliffhanger sort of scenario or whatnot but what ended up happening actually was a very very needed scene that really tied the movie up beautifully and i i, I enjoyed the epilogue more than any. i i thought it ended so well <laughs> yeah uh, like i would have been i would have been perfectly happy mm -hmm. if it just ended with butcher getting carted off mm -hmm. same I, I think I, I I still would have had a very high opinion of the film. And I'd be like, okay, looking forward to seeing Butcher again in the sequel. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but this really, I didn't know this movie needed that scene so much until it happened. I didn't know exactly. I needed that scene so much until it happened. And it was almost like it was almost as if the the, the filmmakers thought, mm, no, we we need we need just like five minutes more. We just give us five minutes more. We we got something really good that will really cap this off well. And they, they made use of it. it yeah. Was good. It was really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I liked it. I, I, I was blown away by how, how well they wrapped this up. Now, it sounded like earlier when Jair was talking about how, how remarkable it must have been for, for Booker, for the actor that played Booker. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was actually, that was Rebecca. Oh, sorry. That uh, yeah, was Rebecca. Yeah. Was Rebecca. yeah. The honor of a lifetime making out with Vince Bond in the back of a car. <laughs> it, it sounded like that you had some thoughts. I, well, it, I just think, yeah, there are a few things that didn't work. I, I mean, we're, we're introduced to a very heightened reality of a world. The setting is called Blissfield, for God's sake. I, I accept that. 
that, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there's no subtext here. It's strictly text. Uh, but even accepting how easily the world's characters believe Millie is in Butcher's body, I still found it hard to accept, for example, her mother would spill her guts to a person in the changing room, you know? I, I thought it felt forced, like they were just looking for a spot for her mother to converse with Millie in a different body. That's one example. Uh, I also thought the kiss between Butcher Millie and, <laughs> and Booker, Booker Strode, I might add, if we're, if we're, was his full name, if we're counting the Halloween references. But the kiss with Booker, it, it was funny. It was funny. But I, I felt like they were just looking for a laugh, like they were looking and forcing for a way for that to happen. See, if I were Millie, I would be very concerned over how willing he was to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I, it, it's funny. It's funny I mentioned the restraint used to better Millie's character, but some of these scenes don't quite land in the grand scheme of things. And that's largely why I don't hold it in the same regard as the Happy Death Day movies. Can I provide a counterpoint to the the the, the infamous kiss? <laughs> you will try. <laughs> All right, let's see if G, G has the high ground here. <laughs> as cringy as it was to see, the more that I've marinated on that scene, the more I actually kind of appreciate what it did. Because Millie is seeing what the butcher is doing with her body. Like the butcher is making her hot sauce, right? You know, in the way that she dresses, the way that she acts, right. things like that. And, you know, I'd imagine for her like, oh, I could have been doing this all this time and I could have had Booker by now. <laughs> <laughs> and in that scene, it really is illustrated to me like Booker doesn't care what she looks like, even if she's a six foot five <laughs> man, <laughs> man. <laughs> which which is Granted, outlandish. So he's, it, he's gay. He swings both directions at, at minimum. Is, 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 <laughs> I, I think it worked on in that capacity, if that makes sense. I, I think, yeah, he likes the older guys. That's, that's, did we just get done recording Dirty Dancing as well? And we're like, oh, this is an issue. <laughs> Um, oh my god, you're right! <laughs> <laughs> oh. I'm looking at Dave's face right now, and he just he just like jumped back <laughs> in fear. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops! Do I do I have the high ground again? <laughs> you have to. The high ground. Right I, now, Dave I, is on the ground, burning alive with only one limb. I hate you! <laughs> looking down. You were my brother! I changed my mind. I changed my mind. That doesn't work for me anymore. Let's, uh... <laughs> wow. I'm not gonna cut it out, but I really want to. I'll put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> that was an oopsie daisy on Dave's part. <laughs> no, but it was it was it was a, it was an interesting counterpoint to say you know it's what inside that counts, Dave. I understand. That, I mean, I just think I just think it was a little forced 
to get the laugh. Quite frankly, that that was. I 100 percent agree with you, and I don't have any other opinion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another thing, and I wanted to point this out to Jr. because he's a film editor. I felt like the movie we we talked about how tight this movie is, right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe almost to a fault. Okay. Uh, I felt like the movie had some pieces missing. Uh, thank you. I felt like there were some scenes dropped. Uh huh. There's there's one scene. Early on, where Millie is standing by the locker, and she sees Booker, and they both leave the lockers roughly at the same time. Right? She she kind of makes like an awkward wave after he leaves, and then they, yeah. And then they leave. But in the very next scene, Millie is late for shot class, and Booker's been there the whole time. Yeah, I, I noticed I, that I, too. I didn't feel like the passage of time excuse worked here. The movie has a lot of editing inconsistencies like that. JR, maybe I'm being nitpicky or over just like a fun horror satire, but I'm, what what did you think? It's one of those things that once you put a film together, you you have especially with a horror slash comedy, you know, there are certain beats you have to hit with a horror film. There are certain beats you have to hit with a comedy film. So combining mm-hmm. those together makes it even, it, it makes it a very, very niche uh, concept. So it's possible that there could have been some scene where she like, I don't know, goes into the bathroom and gets insulted one more time. Or a uh, principal calls her up to pick yeah. on her. Or, yeah. And to me, that would make more sense of why there's like, why there's such a big lapse in time is that, you know, we filmed the scene and it didn't work. It's one possibility. Okay. Yeah. And, and I, I can respect that kind of restraint again, be like, okay, this hurt the pacing or this scene didn't work or it's too slow or something like that. And I, I get that. And I've considered that, but even still, I'm glad you brought it up for the editing beats and all that. I actually really appreciated the scene where Millie's mom uh, just spills her guts to Vince Vaughn. Really? Yeah, I actually, okay. I actually thought that worked really well. As as kind of a, it's a mish. This film is a mishmash, which is why it works. But you know, in in every awkward teen movie, you gotta have a heart to heart moment. So. If this movie didn't have a heart-to-heart moment, which I don't think would have been the Booker and the car scene at all. No? <laughs> no. No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't condone uh, underage. <laughs> you should see Dave's look right now. <laughs> Rebecca, what do you have? I want to point out uh, when Millie's mom is spilling her guts to butcher Millie. Uh, when they were uh, talking and how she's like, oh, wow, you're such a sensitive guy. And I'm thinking, oh, no. Oh, no. this She's going to fall in love with her own daughter in a, in a, gr- in a serial killer's body. And <laughs> I'm thinking, how is she going to get out of this? How is she going to get out of this? And then she says, um, I'm married. <laughs> I was like, whew, okay. And I kept screaming at the screen, just say you're married, just say you're married, just say you're married. And I, just, <laughs> yeah, I, 
I don't know. I felt that scene was pretty forced and that, you know, it kind of left some dangling threads that they didn't come back to, but that they could have followed up with, but might have been difficult. I don't know. I, that, that seems, I just didn't think that worked. Uh, <laughs> I want to talk about uh, something else. Uh, now, I don't watch a lot of movies. In fact, I don't watch any at all. I, I'm just not into that. And <laughs> I, talk. I don't watch a lot. Really? I don't watch any. Until I, I watch this. I like, I loved this. But uh, I, I, I'm, I'm told, or it seems like almost every horror film out there, there's like, there's like a cardinal rule for some reason. Correct me if I'm wrong, but if like the minority is killed off, like the black guy is killed off or the gay guy is killed off. And I thought it was hilarious that Josh, Millie's friend, who is gay, pointed out that pointed that out when he screams back at Nyla, the <laughs> other friend who is black, when they're running from the butcher. And you're fucking Which I I'm I'm so glad they didn't kill them off because I was growing onto them. They're very good characters and they're very good friends to to Millie, and they're mm-hmm. very much needed, and I'm, I think it's always an eye-opener, a real eye-opener and somewhat relief when I guess stereotypes or carnal rules are broken in, on film, and it, it just opens up a lot of possibilities for other writers out there. I don't know. I, I, I thought that was hilarious and relieving that they survived. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy about that. Yeah, I, that, that's another thing that really, I feel like, works well in this universe of films, not just freaky, um, but you know, if you're considering watching happy death day and the like, they're all very self-aware. Yeah. yeah. They, they, they are schooled in the genre of horror, what the tropes are <laughs> and they don't avoid it, but they call it out saying, this is typically what would happen here, but we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I, I Dave, you've, watch more than I have. And is it sort of a trope that the minority gets off? Pretty it was for a long time. Yeah. 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 I mean, the 80s and 90s. 70s, 80s, 70s, 80s, 90s. 70s, 80s, 90s. It was very, as they say in Star Trek, you wouldn't want to be wearing a red shirt. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't strapped. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I enjoyed a lot of this. I mean, I haven't watched a huge amount of horror movies, but I've seen enough to realize the beats when they're there. So that's one thing I really appreciated about this movie is saying, here are the beats. Let's just make fun of them. Yeah. It's even the scene where, uh, butcher Millie takes the shop worker and, uh, splits him in two for about lack of better word. Uh, me and my friend, we pause the movie and go, wait a minute, shouldn't there be more gore? <laughs> <laughs> well, my thing was, you know, they obviously uh, Butcher Millie or Millie Butcher, which, which one, well, whatever. Uh, she's, pitch, she's, pitch perfect. Yeah. He in her body is having a harder time murdering people than <laughs> he would in his normal body, but he still gets the job done. And after this sort of battle between him and the shop teacher <laughs> kind of showcasing how you know butcher's not quite on his game with millie's body right he's still able to easily just push him straight through a saw like there's no 
<laughs> Which apparently it was going in the wrong direction. Oh, really? Apparently. <laughs> what? Which it's it's uh, the scene still works, but like when I was doing research on the film, like some some carpenter was like, "Yeah, that was um that really." <laughs> He's taking this seriously. <laughs> Next oh, one, yeah. Because that's the most unrealistic thing in the movie. <laughs> the blade should be rotating counterclockwise out of 363 days. <laughs> of course, that scene, whole scene reminded me of something. What teacher is that abusive and mean? I mean, if it's, no. it's very unrealistic. I mean, if he were like that's and re- again 80s 80s this is the heightened reality that i was talking about you know we're 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 accepting that her friends are so easily going to be okay with the fact that billy's in butcher's body this is just one of those tropes and it's yeah it's one of those other tropes where it's like how many times have you seen a horror movie and you just like okay you need to die now the town is called Blissfield. <laughs> <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I have a final thought. Okay, let's hear it, JR. I think Vince Vaughn did a much better job portraying a young teenage girl than Jack Black did in Jumanji. I'm glad you drew that parallel because it did it did remind me of that a little bit. Uh-huh. As soon as I saw it, I was like, you know what? This is, I appreciate the not overacting. I mean, as much as you can not overact when portraying a high school girl. <laughs> but Jack Black just seems to, uh, here's, here's the wall. And he just kind of leaped over it with a pole vault. Which is not uncommon for Jack Black. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think he falls into that purposefully overacting kind of. <laughs> yes. But yeah, Vince Vaughn did a great job. Honestly, I think Catherine Newton. Yeah. Knocked it out of the park. You know how many I, times she actually legitimately like made me jump when she went from like slasher to like, please help me. Emma! I was like, oh my God, that's so believable. Yeah. I thought that, that was worked. like yeah. freaky believable. Ah, ah, he said the thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Someone called DiCaprio. Um, That's what I, was, yeah, I just pointed like DiCaprio. I was like, he said the thing. <laughs> yeah, Catherine Newton's performance. You know, we've talked a lot about Vince Vaughn in here, and we've 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 done. A, I feel like we've done a pretty good job of articulating Catherine uh, Newton's performance here, but. Her performance really cannot be understated no, here. I think I I think she's overlooked. Yeah, how well she does in this movie. Oh I, yeah, I bought it. <laughs> Which is remarkable working alongside someone like as as huge as Vince Vaughn is, both mm. physically and from, <laughs> from, yeah. from yeah. Just, you know, Vince Vaughn. He has yeah. a very you know massive career. Oh, I watched a YouTube clip uh, behind the scenes of Freaky and. I believe it was Vince Vaughn that came to Catherine Newton to ask her for advice at what, how would she act as a teenager or how, how she how she she would react because he's portraying a teenager and I, I, 
I thought that was, I thought that was remarkable. And she, she's a, mm-hmm. in real life, she's a real good sport. Uh, Vince Vaughn, working with Vince Vaughn. And it was, <laughs> I, 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 I thought that was a uh, pretty cool. Yeah. I think, I think she did a phenomenal job. I want to see her in more films in general after this, especially. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's something that Christopher Landon does very well. Excellent lead female characters. Yeah. Excellent lead female characters. And I think the best way to wrap this up is, should we do Happy Death Day? In this <laughs> I would love that. I would, I would love that so much. Yes. I think you know, the one thing. The one thing I was kind of concerned about is that after this movie, I was like, what if what if the tables turn now and she's got like a taste for blood because she was a little blood thirsty there at the end. <laughs> so maybe, maybe I I don't know. It, it would be if, like she's the villain in the next Happy Death Day. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, I'll keep I'll keep this brief and close by kind of encompassing all three of these Blumhouse horror comedies together, because I feel like what they're doing in the genre is really something special. Mm-hmm. To me, they have all of the charm and the tone of a John Hughes flick. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like yeah. tonally, we all know that works, and through their absurdity, much like Weird Science. <laughs> There's something relatable in there that gives us, gives me something to really sink my teeth into and invest in the characters. We talked a lot about the character development and how well that, how, how great that was. As we all just talked about, obviously we're very thrilled to see where this could go next. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, when you have likable characters like that, you, you want more. Yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's endearing. Very much Which so. Is weird to say. <laughs> About a horror. <laughs> yeah. So with that, what do you say we get into our poorly pitched? Yes. As you guys might remember, we did not do a poorly pitched in our Justice League episode. So we're going back to our Dirty Dancing episode. <laughs> and, and I believe GJ had it. Yes. Yes, I did. All right. Here's let me set you guys up. Here was the poorly pitched all the way back from our Dirty Dancing episode. A murderous womanizer goes home. Well, it could be anything. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what, what do y'all think it is? <laughs> from hell? I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a terrible guess. <laughs> Was that a Van Damme movie? No, that was a... Oh, in, in Hell is... Yeah, the Van Damme. It's the Van Damme movie. Rob Hell oh, is Johnny Depp and uh, Ian Holmes. Jack the Ripper movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know why, but as soon as she said yeah, that, my mind went to uh, drag me to hell. I was no. like, how does she no. go home? She gets pulled down into the underworld on the train track. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Sweeney Todd. Okay, two Johnny Depp movies. Okay, I don't know if you've if you've seen it, but the first thing that comes comes to my mind, uh, Zac Efron played um, <laughs> School Musical. <laughs> 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 the movie is called Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil, and Vile. It was a, a movie about Ted Bundy. Zac Efron played Ted Bundy. 
Okay. I don't know if you've seen. I don't even know if you've seen it, but that was the first thing that came to mind. Uh, oh, the Netflix movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, I have not seen it. No. Okay, so it's not that. No, it's not that. No. <laughs> All right. Any final guesses? No. Cool. Skyfall. What? <laughs> you know. <laughs> In the back of my mind, I was like, this sounds like a James Bond movie. <laughs> but I was thinking older, and I was like, no, you know, it's, it's not Moonraker. It's, it's, it's not from Russia with Love. I was, I was going back that far. I was like, okay, well, all right, what else could it be? <laughs> and then I jumped out of, oh, man. Oh, I'm so mad right now. <laughs> This has been a very frustrating episode for me. <laughs> well, since it's frustrating you so much, why don't you lead the uh, Fanboy 50? Well, we have to get another poorly pitched oh, out sure. first. Yeah, yeah, okay. okay, I got right, one. So who's doing the next poorly pitched? Oh, Rebecca has one. Okay. I got one. I got one. Okay. Here it comes. A cat makes a very poor choice in life. <laughs> God. <laughs> These are becoming so lean. <laughs> Next up on the dress space, a guy does something. <laughs> yeah, I've probably set a really terrible precedent. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was going to say, at least I gave you guys the plot last time. I gave you the plot. I gave you practically the whole movie. <laughs> <laughs> Next up on the dress space, somebody goes to the bathroom off screen. <laughs> Star Trek <laughs> 24 <laughs> Alright so we'll find out what that is On the next episode <laughs> Which brings us to The Fanboy 50 It does Dave would you like to lead us in that one More than anything in the world Alright here we go Ready, Mark? Yes, I go. So I am still playing Command and Conquer. <laughs> it is the 90s once again in the May household. I've been playing Red Alert 2 and the first Command and Conquer. One of my favorite things to do in the game is to play a, a weaker player and then just gradually take over the entire map. But I pick the biggest map that I can. So it's really demoralizing. <laughs> <laughs> So I'll play like an easier or medium AI and just feel like a god. <laughs> crush you under my tiny, <laughs> crush you under my mighty tank force. <laughs> and time. I'm okay with that being all about Command and Conquer. That's, yeah, I, I can tell. I can tell. I'm okay with that. Uh, Rebecca. Ready. All right. Set. Go. Okay, so my mom and I love this new show that's on the Sci-Fi Channel, Channel Resident Alien. Yes. It stars Alan Tudyk, and he plays an alien from outer space and crash lands on Earth and disguises himself as a human and tries to blend in as the town's doctor while trying to complete his mission. It's probably one of the funniest shows out there, and I rarely turn on to the Sci-Fi Channel anymore ever since they misspelled the word sci-fi. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, I mean, it's true. It's so stupid. Anyway, the, <laughs> anyway, the screen's writing is hilarious. And while it is a comedy, it also has a good bit of drama. And the characters are 
quite good and very developmental. It's one of those shows that when something seems to be going right, immediately something else goes wrong. Time. Oh. It's nice to know the uh, Seafeed channel has something out good. The Seafeed <laughs> <laughs> I'm in shock mom is watching anything on Siffy. That's yeah. crazy. That, okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> Every time I turn on... Though. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Every time I turn on Siffy, it's like 13 ghosts, so... Every time I turn on Siffy, it's not even anything that has anything to do with science fiction or fantasy. I've watched Casino Royale on there recently. <laughs> <laughs> not Skyfall. <laughs> Not yet, not yet. We're gonna. <laughs> but, but you know, you forgot the underlining message in uh, Casino Royale: aliens. Hey, aliens, oh, okay. aliens. Right. <laughs> All right, George. That'll be my next. Uh, that'll be my next poorly pitched. A <laughs> a murderous womanizer gets a job. <laughs> <laughs> All right, who, who's up next? It'll be Jer. All right, I'm Mark. Get set. Go. Much like Dave, I've felt the uh, call for nostalgia. So I've pulled out my N64. I'm going back through Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. Gosh, I love that game. It's Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the other thing I also did because of nostalgia, I actually remembered my PS3 is backwards compatible. So I went back <laughs> and I played uh, Batman Beyond Return of the Joker. Wow. Nostalgia. I forgot the circle button was actually the action button. (laughs) (laughs) Other than that, I found season four, part two of My Hero Academia. Looking forward to watching that finally. And uh, yeah, I I enjoy time stuff. (laughs) 51. Good thing you've been banking your time. (laughs) (laughs) It's part of my master plan. Yeah, so he can go over. (laughs) So one day I can actually host again. (laughs) Looking forward to G's poorly pitched here. We'll see what 90s or 2000s game he's been playing. (laughs) Get set, go. I have not. I'm actually going to take a page out of JR's book and talk about the outdoors for a second here. The <laughs> weather has been fantastic. I feel just after you know a year of COVID and just lots of cold weather and training and coaching in cold weather, this has been, it, it's just been a relief to see the sun out and daylight savings is back and I'm <laughs> just happy to be running myself again when I can find the time. Um... So that's been um, that's been great, but the nights have been good too. I've been plowing through the rookie, which is on its third season. Nathan Fillion, the show just gets better, quite frankly, and I love how it does address current events lately. Uh, and I think it will age well as it continues to do stuff like that. Time, oh my god, the rookie is amazing. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> this no, season, uh, yeah. it was it was all I could do to not say, not say something. It's, it's oh my been... god, dude, mm-hmm. dude. Bruh. 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 Dude. Bruh. <laughs> bruh, dude. <laughs> dude, bruh. It's, yeah, it's really... I think, you know, and I, I'm, I'm so disheartened that some people have said the writing isn't as good anymore just because it is tackling current events. But I love the fact that sh- when shows do that, when, when you see the sign of the times 
in in stuff like this not just shows but movies yeah it's like a snapshot of what's going on you talked about that before uh-huh. and i i i man this season i mean it, it does tackle those current the current events of what we experienced in 2020 right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you're out there and you have not watched the rookie highly encourage you to yeah. give this a shot start <laughs> it's it's probably one of the best currently running tv shows that out there right now at least on broadcast network yeah nathan fillion is amazing and i mean the the uh, the supporting cast as well is just top notch mm-hmm. and they get better too. yeah like it's really become an ensemble piece it really has yeah, it's it, it's it's weird like i i we could do an entire episode on the rookie so i'm not gonna keep going <laughs> yeah yeah that's probably a good idea yeah. we need to wrap this up we need yeah. to wrap this up but really <laughs> excellent go watch no yeah g i talked about the outdoors and outside <laughs> that was those the thing on the geek podcast that we all pick up on yeah. it's like oh nathan fillion in a tv <laughs> show <laughs> Uh, What's... Dragon Con, the one day out of the year where nerds adjust their eyes to sunlight. That seems like an uplifting point to end on. Yeah, well, poor company. Yeah. <laughs> so we hope that you've enjoyed our discussion and antics uh, on on Freaky and really just this awesome universe of Blumhouse horror comedies. Mm-hmm. I've been your host, Dave. If you want to know where else to find me. I do another geek podcast with my wife called Pizza and Parsecs, and you can check us out on pizzaandparsecs.com. And I'm G. You can find me on Twitter at Gman of Mysterioid, and you can check out my substack called Deferential Wrath of a Rusting Markalite Cannon at markalite.substack.com. And I am JR. You can find me doing cosplays on Instagram at Little Man Cosplay, where I just think up whatever I want. And I'm also on Twitter, where I rant about whatever nerd thing I'm watching right now. You can find me there at little man underscore says one. And I'm Rebecca. If you want to check out my artwork and all those crossover ones I mentioned earlier, you can find <laughs> me on the Linktree app, linktr.ee slash reb.hudge. And we are undeniably <laughs> the Drift Space. Make sure you go over and check out our show on bit.ly backslash tslinks. There, you can be redirected to all your favorite podcatchers. Make sure that you're hitting us up on our socials at The Drift Space. We have Instagrams, we have Twitters, we have Facebooks. We have it all, folks, and we want to hear from you. So make sure you're hitting us up out there. We would love to hear from you. And as always, thank you so much for playing along with us. Thanks for listening. And if Freaky has taught us anything, it is to always stay strapped. (laughs) I like what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> I we are that. <laughs>